back themselves after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year. And Golden State. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Grant. Yes, sir. And we are back with another episode of Views from the Clutch. As always, we'd like to take this time out to say thank you to all our listeners, supporters, and subscribers. If you would like to join the movement, you can do so by sending us a voice message on any of the podcasting platforms we are hosted on. You can also reach us directly via viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at viewsfromtheclutch on Instagram and Facebook. And just like that, we're back. We're back. Um, let's jump into it. I closed out, I closed out the last episode with uh, Light Skin Brother Calm Down. And it mm-hmm. only got worse. It only got oh, worse. Di- what, it did? Wait, whoa. All right, you got to tell me this. I ain't, I ain't here. So, worse. so when, we, when, when we left the conversation, Clay Thompson and um, Draymond Green were basically throwing their rebuttals back at the whole Roddy Magruder situation. And Wayne Ellington, you know, oh, took the yes. microphone. So then it went to social media and <laughs> Glenn Big Baby Davis retired, has not played in the NBA since the 2014-2015 season, I believe. Decides to uh, leave a comment on social media basically saying that Clay Thompson's injury karma is a byproduct of his attitude. And Clay mm. Thompson clearly saw it. So Clay Thompson fires back on social media and on his Instagram story says, Damn, big baby, it's like that. Can't wait to get back on the court so I can go up against you and drop 40 on you in a quarter. I'm going to call ISO every trip. Uh, so was that going to be in the, It's going to be in the big three or something? Because uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand. Maybe maybe Clay Thompson can see the future. And he knows that you know his path to the NBA may not be as guaranteed as we think. And you know, because the only way he's going to get on the court with Big Baby Davis is probably going to be on the big three. Because I don't project any NBA roster, you know, reaching into the heavens of the retire pool to to grab Big Baby Davis to, you know, lace him up against Clay Thompson for a quarter let alone a possession, but hey, there's this levels to this NBA trash talk and stuff, and um, it's just a reminder that you can be really good at a sport, but not really good at every facet of it. This all spirals from Clay Thompson making a comment that when you are an active NBA player, whether you're injured, if you intend to get back on the NBA court, what you say can and will be held against you in the court of public opinion, and especially in social media. Clay Thompson started this whole situation by making a comment about a player who has been an NBA journeyman, but has garnered nothing but respect everywhere he went and stating that that person was upset simply because they might be out of a job. He was out of line. So everything that comes with the smoke you generate is what you get back. So now you're going at retired players like Clay Thompson, man, just, you know, dial it down, light skin, 
dial it down. It's going to be okay. But let's go ahead and jump into the most recent current events from the last podcast. So the last podcast, we left it off with there's no defense in Brooklyn. And then Brooklyn yeah. immediately, I swear, do you, is, is this starting to become a thing where you think that we might be getting sneak listeners? Because the moment we say something, people respond. I mean, the players that we speak of respond accordingly the night after. So right after we talk about, you know, Brooklyn's collapse against Washington, they hold it down by the chicken against the Clippers. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was crazy. And that was but, a game where you got to see what we've spoke about and what we know is going to be the case. Kevin Durant's going to get his money. <laughs> James Harden's going to get his money. He had a triple-double that night. And Kyrie is going to get his money. Kyrie had, what, something like 30-plus points. Kevin Durant 39. had 20-plus points. Yeah, Kevin Durant had another 20-plus point. He, I think every game he's played for the Brooklyn Nets, he scored 20 or better. And James Harden gave him another triple-double. But the key nice. to the game was the fact that they were able to stave off, the, at the time, the number one team in the West, the Los Angeles Clippers, to get a win on their home floor. Kyrie did come out after that game against the, um, against the Wizards and say, you know, we've got to improve our defense. Steve Nash came out and said, you know, we need to be at least – a fundamentally sound defense if we want to compete. And a curious stat popped up about teams that have won the NBA championship and have not been a top 10 defensive team. And there have only been three in NBA history. One was the 95 Rockets. You know that, you know that what was a six seed, you got to believe mm -hmm. Rudy Tomjanovich's team. The 2001 Lakers which was, um, you know, the Kobe and Shaq era where they basically okay. were just doing whatever they wanted to with the league. And I think that was the year they beat the Nets. Okay. You know, Shaq's, I, yeah, well, who, who was the big man that Shaq was dunking on all, all series? Oh, against? Tom McCullum, I think? Yeah, Tyler McCullum, yeah. And I forgot who that third NBA team, oh, it's the Warriors. Which one? one of the Warriors teams that won the NBA title really? during their five-year run was not a top-10 defense. But oh, it might have been right outside them. I thought they were always like, all right, whatever. They were always yeah. on the cusp or within that area. Agreed. Mm -hmm. But they weren't yeah, the top 10 defense. Top 10, they were an NBA champion. So yeah, yeah. you're looking at statistical outliers that point to trends that tend to hold, you know, pretty firm. We're talking about the NBA, which has been in effect for over 50 plus years, and there have only been three instances. Now, mind you, we are in a generation of basketball where a lot of trends, a lot of statistical predictors have been like you know blown to the wayside because the style of basketball has changed but i still believe defense wins championships is a part of the mantra that's going to hold true in any sport so um oh, it's good oh. it's good to see brooklyn made a stride but they're going to continue to have to make a lot more strides if they hope to you know be able to be a serious nba contender yeah, but um, I mean, do, do you really feel like? I mean, I don't feel like they're gonna address. They're not gonna. They're not gonna all of a sudden start playing defense. They, I mean, they might. They might get a, a couple of stops every now and then, but they're not overall gonna get. They're not gonna go from the twenty fifth ranked defense to the fifteenth ranked defense without making any any trades. And I don't think they have any pieces that they can trade that's gonna warrant them having their defensive rating go that much higher. So. Again, their offense is out this world. Can they can they keep giving up a hundred at least hundred and twenty points to every team they face? 
I will see come playoff time, you know what I mean? Because there's going to be certain matchups. And I think with the fact that they got James Harden running the point and Kyrie at the two is actually something that I'm actually um, kind of surprised because I thought I thought James would want the ball to be more ball dominant, but he doesn't mind getting the assist and, being, and taking less shots because he knows at any given moment he could go off for 30. Or he can go for, you know, 10 in a row if he wants. So I think that's one thing that I had. I thought they were going to struggle with. But I don't think offensively they're not going to struggle. It's just the defense. Like, that's the one team where even though you have those the different egos, offense, offensively I don't see them having a problem because what, what defenders actually in the league that can stop those three on a consistent basis? Nobody. You know what I mean? It's just they can't yeah. stop anybody either. So, a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine, Blackbeard, he had a post on his Facebook page, and it was hilarious. But it was his synopsis of what happened in that Clippers game, and it's actually true. What kept happening was Nick Batum kept getting switched to whoever had the ball, Ooh, yeah. and he kept getting lit up. Yeah, that whole yeah. fourth quarter, they would run some kind of pick play that would force Nick Batum onto the man with the ball, and he simply couldn't keep up with the three different ways that Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving and um, James, James Harden, Harden can pick you apart. Nice. James Harden running the point in an offense that is engineered by Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash when he yeah. was the last player to do it makes perfect sense. So to me, it doesn't surprise me because, again, James Harden took that role and kind of like embraced the idea that, you know what, as long as I get these assists, people ain't going to call me a ball hog. Yeah. And he was also a distributor when he was the sixth man in Oklahoma City. Like, he would come in, sub for Westbrook, and then when they would bring Westbrook back in, he would still kind of be the trigger man for the play so that Westbrook could play off the ball and, you know, be guys to the back of the basket and, and get his layups and dunks. Same thing with being able to set up Kevin Durant on those curl plays. So it's something that Kevin Durant is familiar with because that's something that he saw coming mm-hmm. up as a player with James Harden. And Kyrie Irving, as much as we all know, he loves to dribble more than anything in this world. Like, he's a dribble addict. He don't like dribbling in the backcourt. So if you're sparing him from bringing the ball up the court so that all he, you know, all he has to do is dribble as soon as you're across half court, he's happy. He's happy. The thing is about Kyrie Irving is that he's not really a big-time proponent of shooting off the catch. And James mm-hmm. Harden's passing style usually leads to you not being able to do much other than catch and finish. Yeah. So it's going to be curious to see how well Kyrie Irving is able to thrive off of other people getting him the ball rather than him being put in a set where he comes off of a screen and then he gets to do his seven dribbles and take a pull-up shot. He's still doing it. Yeah. He but did I mean, it to the effect of 39 points. As, as effective offensively as they've been, they can still play the – the current where they are and no team is going to be able to stop that for, you know, for a while. You know what I mean? Like again, certain teams, maybe, you know, it's a day off or something like that. I just think that the way they score offensively, they'll be fine. The only problem is, is, is the other guys that are not the three that we know. Cause that three, they'll, they'll, they'll put up, they can put up 90 points, but they're going to need more than 90 points to win a game. So, that it's just a figuring out the Joe Harris's or the, all the all the role players that those guys are saying. If Jeff Green's going to give you, you know, able to give you, you know, quality quality points and stuff like that. So, but you know, to move on a little bit, let's big give a big up to um um uh, Mr. Under Mr. Undrafted, uh, Fred Van Fleet. 
you know, last night. Absolutely. Career high, 54 points. Hit 11 threes against Orlando Magic. Uh, the Raptors is now the Raptors franchise uh, points leader for a game. And, um, yo, he's just been putting that work in, you know, from, from day one. You know, I, I think. I mean. Good. It, it's a flashback to our last podcast because what did I say? Nick Nurse is the only coach who can get out of Fred Van Vliet what we're seeing. And he makes and has proven to be the best little guard coach in the league right now. Because a guy who is probably shorter than Allen Iverson, putting 54 on your head, that's pain. Undrafted? Mm-hmm. Or was he a second-round pick? Which one was no, he? No, no, undrafted? no. no. He, was undrafted. he was undrafted. Straight undrafted. And he, went, and he was in the G League in his rookie year. So look and he's also he, – he broke like four records in one season because he's got the biggest contract ever for an undrafted player. Yeah. He's what scored the most threes in a game by an undrafted player. And now he scored the most points in a game by an undrafted player. Yeah. Um, yeah and he, obviously you said but the Raptors thing. And, he, yo, he only missed a few shows. He was what seventeen for like. He was a. He was 11. He only missed one three pointer. Crazy. Missed Crazy. one three pointer. Crazy. That whole entire game. Um, now we spoke about the Milwaukee Bucks and them going on a four game swing. They looking. They and they looking great. And we said that them coming out of that swing at three and one would be a sign that they're headed in the right direction. Well, it looks like they're about to go 2-0 and out of those four games, and then the next two games are against Cleveland. Yeah. So, yeah. so they beat the Trailblazers by 28. Smash. They are slapping the pace of Silly right now by 22 with only 20, 28 seconds left in the game. Mm-hmm. Maybe Milwaukee is starting to – you know, gel. Maybe that Budenholzer system is starting to hold water because they're now at that 20-game point in the 72-game season. So familiarity, continuity, where people are going to be on the court, those things look like they're all starting to come into play for them. And if that's the case, then maybe the East goes back to something close to what we're used to because Milwaukee is only the third seed right now, and they're behind Brooklyn. And they're a better defensive team than Brooklyn. So yeah, yeah, but who also- knows? Maybe... You know, I would say uh, shout out to Milwaukee because I just looked at the box score real quick. They got 56 points off the bench. You know, you got uh, Brandon Forbes and you got Bobby Portis leading the way. Forbes got 20 and Bobby Portis got 18 off the bench. And that's a good that's a good situation. Now, again, can you get that every night? Nah. But when you're when you're um, in a little a little bit of a funk, why not have your bench step up? And give your your starters uh, rest, but also let people give that confidence. The coaches to say, you know what, we could add some minutes because obviously Bobby Portis is a solid vet, and Forbes has mm-hmm. been um he's he's been former a, starter, former starter with the Spurs, and and again he's damn what you say Bobby Portis is four for five from three point range. Oh yeah, Bobby Portis is getting at it. Bobby Portis with the the, the big eyes, the owl eyes. You know what I'm saying? He always looks Bobby surprised. Portis. Bobby Portis, the the man with the hand that sent a player back to a different continent. <laughs> I wasn't gonna go there, but yeah, you know what I mean. But yeah, that's what it is. But and and again, they, Bobby Portis, aka, oh, you think you could try me and Marcus Morris while we both play for the Knicks? 
Yeah, you got true. another thing coming. Yeah, that remember that death stare. Yeah, that's remember that death stare, son. <laughs> son, that's why I said Bobby Porter. His eyes, his eyes tell a, a different story. He could be happy. His eyes. He got he, them who framed Roger Rabbit eyes. Yo, son. He got listen. That's Kirk Thomas two point I might have. I might have to do that as a picture so people know what we're talking about. The Kirk Thomas eyes is legendary. Eyes that mm. look like he blink. He be like, yo, you ain't mm. blinking seven days. Man, what's going on? But yeah, nah, but um big shout out to all the all the all the teams that have been winning, man. And and like I said, getting out of the funk. I mean, you got some of the other scores right now. I was just looking at you got Philadelphia that's about to beat Charlotte. Um, they're up by eleven with, with fourteen seconds to go. I mean eighteen seconds to go. Yo, mm-hmm. I was just gonna say, um, LaMelo Ball, man, he He's on, he's he's on pace for that rookie of the year. I mean, he's getting some. Um, he might get a little bit of competition from my man, the point guard from Sacramento. I forgot his name, Hollenberg. I think his name is Hollenburton. Um, yeah, Halliburton. So, but the the reality is, Lamelo's now starting. Um, how did they do the lineup today? Oh, what what you would call us out? Terry Rozier is out. Yeah, um, Rozier's out, so that's why we're seeing um a minute a minute spike with um Lamelo Ball. He's got he's got um about you know Melo Melo's going he's going to figure it out. I mean he's figuring it out. I mean, he has been figuring. He it has out. been figuring it out. You know, I just think that you know obviously he's a rookie, so his turnovers are going to be a lot higher. But I think sometimes some of his from the games that I've been watching, some of his turnovers are. Guys aren't expecting him to really make the pass. I think yeah. now in the recent games, guys have been look, just keep your hands up because he he'll he'll find you when you're not sure. You, oh, I don't think he saw me, and he he sees you. You know, so I think no. that's what it is. Is he knows guys are open when guys don't know they're open. They're on spots on the court where the last thing they're expecting is for them to get the ball where they're at, so they're not prepared to score, and he's mm. a prepared passer. So. He's one of those guys. There's like, you know, there's point guards who pass people open. There's point guards who can execute a play and pass it to the, you know, make the make the right play to, to get a guy an easy score. And he's got both those skills. And those are those guys that wind up being elite. His brother has that same skill, too. They can pass guys open and they can see ahead of a play to get, you know, players who aren't expecting an easy opportunity at a shot, a shot. Conversely, mm-hmm. it's kind of scary to see that here you are, your brother is is slowly, you know, putting the league on notice and Lonzo Ball is back to struggling again. Mm-hmm. His shooting numbers have, have plummeted and cratered. And there's some things going on in New Orleans that are going to have to be addressed. Yeah. It's unfortunate to see. But, you know. I think you know, um, Stan Van Gundy got his got his job, got his opportunity to revalidate that you know he's a legitimate coach in the NBA. You've been gift wrapped the the former number one pick in the draft. He's been healthy for pretty much most of the season, mm-hmm. and you guys are the second worst team in the West. Yeah, uh, Brandon Ingram has continued to trend upward with his play. You know he's proven himself to be a frontline level NBA player. You know, somebody who could be considered for all-star ballots and all that type of stuff. 
his numbers do go down in the fourth quarter because they, I think they rely on him a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he, he's proven that he can be that guy. So they've got pieces in place, and it really boils down to what can they do with them. Is this going to become a situation where we see Lonzo Ball? Remember, he didn't get his his um his contract renewed. No, nope. he didn't get an extension. Nope. So he's playing for you know I don't want to say his 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 career, but he's playing for his next destination. And the way he's trending right now, and the way the Pelicans are trending, I don't know if we see him in the Pelicans uniform next year. Oh no, he might not finish his season out. Like I said, because because also the thing about the Pelicans, who's also on the trading block is JJ Reddick. You know, um, that's a situation where a shoot is not being used or he's not shooting as effective as he used to. He, this is one of his. This is one of his mm-hmm. career worst seasons. I yeah. think he's actually shooting below thirty percent, which is something that is like astronomically, astronomically uh, a, a a detour from what we know him to be statistically for his career. Yeah, facts. Um, yeah, he's shooting uh, yeah, 29%. I mean, he's a career 41% shooter. So, you know what I mean? But again... You're talking a full 12 percentage points off of... A guy who makes four out of every 10 threes is now making three out of every 10 threes. So, you know, that's an extra brick every time he comes down the court. There's a lot to be said for whatever they have going on in New Orleans. I don't know if it's the integration of all the different parts they added. Because remember, Stephen Adams got added, and he's a different type of center. Mm-hmm. They, also have, they also have Jackson Hayes, who's a second-year player, but he's due to, you know, if he wants to continue to make his role in the NBA, he's going to need that playing time. But mm-hmm. him and Stephen Jackson, you know, I mean, Stephen Adams, Adams, they kind of... They're the same they kind of position. They can't play together. In the same type of player, you know. So unless Jackson Hayes develops a 20-foot... 30 foot jump shot in the next couple of months, you know, it's going to be difficult to see him be able to get substantial court time as long as Steven Adams is there because he's one of the best screen setters. And he actually turned out to be a pretty good distributor from the high post area when he played in Oklahoma city. So I don't know what new Orleans can do to improve. I mean, they're not really that bad. They're only seven and 12. So they could go on a four or five game winning streak and be right back up there within those, you know, that 500 range that you need to be in, in Mm -hmm. either conference to be in the playoff hunt, but to be, you know, two games better than Minnesota Timberwolves, I don't think anybody expected that with almost 20 games into the season. No, and again, I expected them to be. Also with Zion playing, uh, he's played 18 out of the 19 games. So he is, Mm -hmm. it's not like situation and he's not on a minutes restriction. I mean, heck Mm -hmm. he's, he's second on the team in minutes and he actually leads the team Mm -hmm. in scoring. I mean, Mm -hmm. granted it's about like a percentage point or two, but, and he leads the team, and um, it's it's just I I, I really feel like um, I, I feel like the it's the backcourt for me that's not getting it done. Like when I watch the Pelicans, they just seem like they seem like for one defensively they're not really good, um, and but I feel like they should be better. Like Eric Bledsoe a, is a decent defender, Lonzo's a decent defender, but I just feel like. There's something missing out of that team, and it could be a collection of maybe outside factors for those guys because you got um, Van Gundy's, like I said, Lonzo's minutes has been kind of fluctuating. His play has been kind of fluctuating. So you got um, the backup, Neil Alexander Walker. His minutes have jumped up. You got Josh Hart that sometimes comes in. His minutes jump up, and you just got a mixture of – 
like the backcourt is trying to figure it out. Whereas, yeah, Melly has barely played that the, the Euro mm-hmm. uh, four man who you know he you should give it space and provide space in those yeah. four. Yeah, so it's a lot going they, on in New Orleans. But um, with all that being considered, it, it's a curious thing because New Orleans is kind of like suffering under the radar, if you will, with all the different stories and 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 things going on in the NBA in, in, in this current moment. Um, I did want to jump back, unfortunately, to Brooklyn. So I do apologize for this. But another post that came up on social media that I was scouring, um, a good friend of mine, my man Mills, he says Kyrie Irving is the most skilled offensive player in NBA history. He's the most skilled offensive player in NBA history. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, it took him six edits on the post mm. to, to, to get to that. He started off with he's the most skilled player in the NBA, NBA history. Then it became he's the most skilled offensive player after a series of consecutive edits. And it was good to read that there are basketball fans out there who have some common sense. And they started to point to different facets of Kyrie's game that don't match up to other players who do have facets of Kyrie's game. Let's not take anything away from the fact that Kyrie Irving is probably one of the better under the rim finishers in NBA history, if not the best. I think he's, he's right I up think there he's with us. He's he's yeah, up there he's, with his he, godfather. He's up there with Allen Iverson. He's up there with 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 all of those guys. He's up there with Chris Paul. He's up there with all of those elite small man finishers at the rim. Nothing can be taken away from that. Nothing can be taken away from his dribble drive game or his his handle and ability to create space to create a shot. But he's also only like 6'2", so he's not posting nobody up. So he doesn't even have an opportunity to demonstrate post skill. There's only three starting NBA guards that he can really post up. Chris Paul, Trey Young, and I don't even know who the third guy is, but there's some other short point guard out there who is starting for an NBA. Mike Conley. Those are probably the three guys that he could literally like, yo, give me the ball mid-post and let me, let me, show, y'all, let me show y'all my Mamba mentality footwork. You know, so there's a facet of his game that's not there or not often being displayed. Another facet of his game that's not there is he does not have the same deep range that these new era elite guards have, or he doesn't display it at the same frequency that they do. Listen, say what we want, bad shot. You know, that's what Paul George used to call it. But the moon ball is in. Mm-hmm. Shooting from the logo is the thing. Oh, is yeah, it not? Absolutely. Yeah. That, 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 listen, that's another... Again, you, the fact that you have to play, you have to play defense against a player possibly forty feet away from the basket that goes to show that you know the game has evolved and you have to you have to take in consideration because guys have been shooting a lot. It's not like guys take you know one a week. These guys just, this guy shooting pulling up from the logo. Heck, Dame Lillard, logo Leonard, you know three I mean? four like, times a game. Yeah, and again he's Steph in range. Steph did it, I think, who did they play most recently? And I don't even know if they won the game. But Steph made four of them. Mm-hmm. Four of them from, like, why did you shoot that range? Yeah, but that's, that's the craziest part about you even got LeBron shooting them. Mm-hmm. And, again, when you have Comfortably. Players, yeah. But when you have players that that type of space that's created is, is unbelievable. Because now the defense – has to really pick guys up from half court and that opens up the floor even more. So 
Listen, man. I, and one simple pro one hezzy, you know, the hand over the, the, you know, the hesitation dribble hand, pretend like you about to shoot, mm-hmm. and that guy's jumping. Oh yeah, Steph and Steph makes people famous on the on the replays with that. Oh, so. speaking of that, it was funny because everybody loves to point out how many different bodies Steph has caught, but you know, if y'all looking for fun, if y'all have an objectionable sense of humor, go on YouTube and look up Stephen Curry's ankles being broken. there's been some times where he's gotten cooked. So I can almost like forgive him for how outrageously arrogant he is when he smokes somebody, because there's been some times when, Oh my goodness. I mean, he's got a couple, he's got a couple Pat Beverly level. Like, why did you do that, bro? Mm, Gotta check it out. Gotta check it out. Cause that's the funniest. It's like a four minute clip. It's, it's, It's a four, it's a four minute clip, but it's always good to see guys who, who punish people get punished too. Just to know that, you know, basketball doesn't discriminate. No, you all got to, you know, you all got to be able to get out there and take it the same way you dish it out. So I thought it was dope. And it was just funny that I, I was like, you know what, let me just see what comes up when I search this. And it was, it was pretty hilarious. It was pretty hilarious. Um, but getting back to the, the current event level of the NBA, um, the Western Conference is now officially in somewhat of a logjam. There's like a three-way battle for the number one seed. Utah currently has it, and the Clippers and Lakers are tied with the same record currently. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because, as we know with LeBron, after he wins a championship, he tends not to care about having the best record in the conference. Mm. So... It's and, and with this being a unique season with the shortened season, lesser games, lesser minutes, preserving people, how hard is Los Angeles going to push to be the number one seed in the West? Especially in a season where does home court advantage really like mean anything? The Lakers are four and four at home, they're 12 and two on the road. Yeah, so that's indicative of we'll come to your gym and beat you. Yeah, I mean, we'll come to your gym and beat you. So if we go 500, knowing that we're playing 800 basketball on the road, we could play anywhere. They won in a bubble. So, again, defending champions and and trying to prognosticate or predict what's going to happen with them. It's always it's always a a guessing game because you never know. Mm -hmm. You never know. Golden State bounced back from going to the finals and winning and went 73 and nine and then proceeded to lose in the finals. Yeah. So there's no, there's no script, but it is proven that LeBron James, the year after he wins the championship, the team that he plays on, they tend not to push to be that number one team in the conference. They do wind up going back to the finals or getting close. Well, I mean, remember he played in the finals nine years in a row, but the point is it almost doesn't have any impact on what, what his team does in the playoffs, where they finish in the, in the regular season standings after they win that championship. It's almost like he collectively makes that team comfortable knowing, hey, we go anywhere. Y'all got me on the team. We got AD. We're going to win. Yeah. Or we're going to have a good-ass chance yeah. of winning. He's going to so be good with the top. It's going to be curious though. to see. Yeah, it's going to be curious to see how hard they fight for that with that comfortable level of we can do this because we've already done it mentality that defending champions tend to have. Um, I can see the Clippers and the Jazz, you know, like... Yeah, really trying to position Giving themselves. it their yeah. all. But then I see the Clippers probably 
because Tyron Lewis is a veteran coach, I can see them within like that last 10 to 15 games starting to wind it down because you know you got to manage Kawhi. You know you got to manage Paul George, even though he's on a bounce back season and he's, you know, fully healthy, so on and so forth. Those guys have real live minutes and you want to make sure that you preserve them and have them in a position where they can really be the players that you pay for them to be come playoff time. And Utah is just their team that's always got to prove something. And their coach is one of those coaches that I don't even know if he has a switch other than let's go out there and win every goddamn Mm -hmm. possession. You know what I'm saying? Quinn Snyder is one of those guys. He was one of those guys as a college coach. He's one of those guys in his first coaching job. I don't see him. I don't see him changing. So I can see Utah really pushing themselves. I don't know if they can sustain this level of winning that they're doing currently, but their defense is is very very good. So if their defense continues to hold water, they're they're probably going to be one of the top. You know. Well, yeah, but I think I the top I think, two teams. I think the, the trick bag with that is if the Lakers are currently the if the Lakers are the third seed when it's close to the end of the season, I really feel like you, and if, if it stays where it's at, I could easily see Utah and Los Angeles really pushing to be that number one seed. Cause nobody wants to play the Lakers in the second round. You want to, you want the Lakers in, in the Western conference uh, finals, not in the semifinals. So mm-hmm. I could, I could see positioning playing a bigger factor in that if, if it's current down to the last five games and the Lakers are like basically sewing up as a three seed, you know, or the Lakers are, you know, they can't finish worse than three type thing. I could definitely see somebody want the Clippers or the, or the jazz really pushing to be that number one seed. That way they can avoid the Lakers in the second round. I could definitely see that. It would just, it just depends on um, where the standings are at the end of the season. But I definitely, Agree with you if the Clippers will dial it down some, only if the Lakers are in that situation. You know, if the Lakers are the number one seed, then yeah, the Clippers are dialed down. But if so, let's look at the Clippers' last five games of this season. They're going to play Memphis twice, Milwaukee, Boston, and Washington. And this is just looking at the last five of the, of their schedule which obviously we know due to COVID and the nature of the season, that could change. But right now, Utah's last five, Lakers, Miami, Orlando, New Orleans, Philadelphia. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting because their very last game, Utah, they close out against Philadelphia, who's currently the number one seed in the East. And the way the East is playing right now, it's looking like whoever wins the East is going to be playing intense basketball for the entirety of the season. It's going to be a dogfight because now Milwaukee is perched back up in second. They've got a game lead on Brooklyn. They got a two game lead on Boston and they're, you know, they're only behind Philadelphia by Mm -hmm. a couple of games. And if they go ahead and win these next two games, you know, the pressure's back on. So Milwaukee getting their ship right and positioning themselves where we're used to seeing them, which is top one, two seed in the league. That means that Philadelphia is going to really have to, you know, be on their A game to be able to fend them off. So I can imagine, like I said, Philadelphia having to take that last week of the season very seriously if they are intent on having that number one seed. Because the same way you just said it out West, nobody's going to want to play Brooklyn if they're the third seed. (laughs) 
Nobody is going to want to play Brooklyn at the third seed in the East. Nah, you don't want that smoke. Because that means come second round, you, you everybody on your team yeah. better be healthy. Everybody who ever got considered a great defender better be available come that second round series. And, I mean, Milwaukee is one of those teams that I can imagine could give Brooklyn a problem if, you know, if it finished out Milwaukee second, Brooklyn third, and they had to play in the second round. I can imagine Milwaukee making life tough for Brooklyn and possibly beating them, but not many other teams. Not many other teams that that are out there. Philadelphia, I don't think Brooklyn can do anything with them in a seven-game series because that means you got to make Embiid disappear four times because Embiid is that good. He, He affects the other team so much because he's so dominant on the interior. And they really don't have an answer for him. Listen, I, I love DeAndre Jordan to death. You know, he was one of my favorite players for all the highlights that he created, all of the, the defensive plays he made as a part of, you know, that, that, those Clippers teams. But him guarding B for seven games? You don't even have Jared Allen to bring in to, you know, give him a different look. I don't know, man. <clears throat> I don't know. Like you said, that whole, like we've been saying, that whole who Brooklyn can defend, is going to be a big part of how far they can go. Um, what's up with these Knicks, man? Looks like they're going to uh, hold well, off Chicago basically yeah, right now. They're up eleven, and the way they've been playing, the way I don't like. I don't, okay, let me let me do a critique. I know some Knicks fans that are not really objective um, might be mad at me when I say this, but Julius Randle, even though he's a left-handed, he doesn't like going left. And it's strange to see because a lot of his turnovers in this game are a dribble. Yeah, he doesn't, dribbling like, he doesn't like to or... dribble left. He does not. He loves to go. He's posts up on the left block, but he loves to drive back to the middle and shoot like a, 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 a mid-range jump shot in the paint. But he never likes to he never likes to dribble I mean or spin back on the left hand side. And and a lot of times now with the double team is coming. They're overplaying him, so a lot of times if he tries to spin back, they're already standing there, but he doesn't even try to spin back. He keeps trying to dribble with his right hand, and that's happened between this – that's been happening all season, but it's just most teams have not really been playing him, but recently teams have been playing that because they see that, yo, the spin back to on the left and your left-handed player is there. Like, go there. Sometimes you have to do – you have to dribble with the opposite on the opposite side to, to play, make the, the defense balance, to make them guessing. Okay, what's he gonna do? But I don't, I don't see it now. Now, oh man, I was, now I'm too busy watching the game. Quickly, just threw up a bad shot. But like I said, the Knicks are up now by 12, uh, with eight seconds to go in the third. But another thing with the Knicks, obviously, outside shooting is still going to be a key. And the fact that um, Julius Randle's hot offensively, he is. Um, he just hit a three. Now the Knicks is up by fifteen. But the problem with the Knicks are mm-hmm. consistent shooting, um, a solidified number two. Obviously, Randle's dead number one. But I really feel like they they're giving him. He's he's his turnovers are starting to climb back up a little bit. And a little bit more than I like to see, especially the last, mm-hmm. I'd say, like five games. Um, the problem, too, though, is 
when you don't have that solidified second person, it is hard. They're trying to make RJ mm-hmm. Barrett the second person, but RJ Barrett, that's another person. I don't know who would have a ball handling drills or ball handling skills. They gotta he's gotta work on his handles because every shot that he takes, if it's not a wide open jump shot, it looks like a more difficult shot than it needs to be. Like he his his game is very rigid. Mm-hmm. And it needs to, he needs to get some smoothness because again to get a guy like that going he needs some easy baskets he needs to be able to do he needs to have a go to move that's another thing I don't see from RJ is a go to move you know every 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 player and I would say every player right but uh, all the all of the elite every every solidified number two that's a at least if your number two is a guard has kind of a go-to move or has some is not as it's not rigid like him like I don't I've never seen an NBA player make easy shots difficult or it, it, I just, I just it, it's mind-boggling to me how he how he plays like at times like he's a very good he's a, he's a good player good young player but I feel like he's struggling with his his confidence at times, but also the, his inability to be able to create off with his handles. Like, like, come on now. You got to be able to get past your man at some point. Do it in and out crossover, crossover, step back, something. Like, everything is just rigid to me. Like, he's just, I mean, he's. He's got to diversify his yo, portfolio. Not, yeah. 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 He's got to do more than that. But now, nah, um. <laughs> Nah, because Damn, it's just, yo, sometimes watching the Knicks, like, yo, I get frustrated because I'm like, yo, at the professional level, right? The problem is with the Knicks, mm-hmm. we, do, we don't have a homegrown number, official go-to player. Like, like, every team pretty much has that one player that is like, okay, that guy's the man. That That's their That's the man. You know what I mean? You can pretty much run it down with almost every team. Heck, even the lonely, the Wizards, they had Bradley Bill. Like, yo, that's the man on their team. The Knicks, you got, you don't really have that guy. You know what I mean? They're trying to make Randall as the number one option like that. But he just, he's missing something. You know what I mean? Um, Any other team, you know, you got Minnesota, you got Russell, and you got Cat. Like, those guys are like, you know, they're, they're, they're not Superstars, but they they're goes they're all yeah, stars, awesome. yes, right. But they're also guys that's like, um, like you really gotta account for them. Like, yo, this guy could go off at any moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't ever feel. Yeah, he can detonate and and change the. Yeah, and I don't feel him. like the Knicks have that player that you feel like, yo, he could go off at any moment. And they don't have that, and that's that's the problem. That's 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 one of the many problems with the Knicks. They don't have that go-to guy, and and again, that's a struggle, and they're trying to figure it out. You know, can some of these guys on the team be it? It's going to take time. Now, are the Knicks going to make some trades? I don't know what they're going to do. Like I said, I think they have a young team, and they're trying to figure things out. And I'm I'm trusting the process because this this process that they're on, it looks a lot more promising than they've had before in the past. So I'm riding the wave, mm-hmm. but. You know, uh, uh, we can move on from that. Um, but let me ask you this real before we, because we're gonna probably wrap up in not too, um, probably ten to fifteen. But uh, what's 
what's your thoughts on the word of the All-Star game being in Atlanta um, in, about less, in about a month from now, in March? They want to do it early March. They already got the All-Star voting out already. So even if... Yeah, I got an email from NBA.com saying that my vote counted twice. And well, I didn't vote, vote right after what happened in the election. So oh, okay. I'm afford you right, to right. email. I didn't know you were Like It really said yeah, your vote counts twice today. Count twice. I didn't want to even, I didn't even right. want to explore it. Because again, after what happened with, with this year's election, I didn't even feel like that was a good promotional tactic. So I just kind of left it alone. Like, uh, yeah, you guys want to incite voter fraud as a promotional tactic to make me click on players I think should go to the All-Star game? Yeah, I'm good. I'll wait. But, um, yeah, listen, the NBA making an effort to keep the familiarity level with, you know, the content and what they give to to their sponsors and, and fans is, is definitely admirable. I, I don't want to say anything negative about it. So an all-star game, I'm always going to enjoy it. I, I've, I, that's always one of, you know, one of my favorite moments of the season is to see the, the all-star games because you sometimes get to find out who's got secret vendettas. And you might not ever get to see those vendettas played out because the teams that these two guys are playing on don't really have an opportunity for the matchup to ever really exist. So you go into the all-star game and then you see these random one-on-ones and you see one player taking it way more serious than the other, so on and so forth. Kind of like when Kyrie put mm. notice, when he decided that... Um, oh, he, yeah. oh he, he had to put Brandon Knight on skates. I, I, I remember that. I was at that game. Yes. I remember that. I was at that game. Watching that live was crazy. And you can... And you can see, okay, so as a person who witnessed it live, there was no energy that you saw from Brandon Knight that gave you the impression that Kyrie was motivated to do that other than Kyrie wanted yeah, to do Yeah, no, no, no. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, you're right. It was totally unprovoked. It was almost like, Kyrie, why are you doing this man like that? You know, this is still really just like an all-star game, right? But Kyrie was just in a different bag, and he wanted to let yeah. everybody know, I'm here. So, sorry, it had to be you, the mm-hmm. mama mentality. You see those things in, in, in all-star games manifest more, more often than you sometimes get to in watching all of the different regular season games. Like, it's always going to be fun to see what happens when James Harden and Giannis, Giannis are on the court together because of the stuff that they said about each mm-hmm. other to the media. So, if those two wind up on opposing all-star teams, because yeah. remember, they're both in the East now. So now, even though they're both in the East, you still have the captain's pick. And I'm pretty sure the captains would, you know Giannis ain't going to pick Harden mm-hmm. because he said it. He said it. He said, I'm not picking Harden. So if he said that openly out of his mouth, if he's voted an all-star captain, you know that he's going to wind up on the other team because Giannis just ain't going to pick him. And that's going to lead to, you know, a random opportunity for those two because all James Harden said, or the thing that, the most quotable thing he said about, um, about Giannis, what did he say? Um, yeah, he, he, you know, it would be good if he actually knew mm. how to play basketball. You know, if I could just dribble, <laughs> you know, he said something along those lines of, yeah, if I could just run up and down the court and just dribble and, and get to the rim and dunk, you know, I would look great too. And, and that was after Giannis had made his uh, <clears throat> all-star game post-speech about, yeah, we were trying to make sure that, you know, we went at James Harden. <laughs> <laughs> so, Again, those little those little manifestations 
with players on different teams and how they really feel about each other. You don't really get to see them until you get to an all-star game environment and you get the mics in front of these guys and you get to really take their temperature and see where people are and how they feel about other players in the league. So I definitely think it's a it's a benefit because it also gives an opportunity to, you know, breed some rivalries, which the NBA lives off. Rivalries are a big part of, of, of their marketing. So, yeah, let's get it happen. Let's get it happen. If it's going to be safe, and everybody involved is going to be able to, you know, be out there and, you know, get back to their teams without there being any type of safety or, or, or compromise to it. I'm always going to be all for it. Always going to be all for it. I enjoy All-Star Game. I don't know if they need to go as far as, all right, well, we're going to do All-Star Game dunk contest three-point. You know, maybe you don't do all that. But, yeah, if y'all going to bring the All-Star Game back and y'all going to bring it in a bubble environment where the players can get there and get back without there being an issue of them compromising the rest of their teammates <laughs> – yeah, let's do it. Now, do I think that that all-star game is going to have the same? I don't think it's going to be close to the intensity that we've seen in recent all-star games. I think it's just going to be kind of passive aggressive, but to have all those guys on the court together at one time, it, it is a good positive sign to, you know, us being able to turn the corner on this whole COVID crisis situation. But at the same time, like mm-hmm. I said, safety first above everything. So if it can happen in a safe, in, in, in a safe confine, um, I'm definitely going to yeah, watch. Yeah, of course. You know, I'm a fan of the game. So I know you're going to watch too. And we're both going to be, we're both going to be texting each other laughing and probably watching the last few minutes of the game together, depending on, on how nah, it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it, it will be interesting to see how they do it with everything going on. Are they going to bring the guys in a little earlier have them kind of like, you know, set up a semi-bubble situation, or it's just kind of like, yo, I just had a game on All-Star Games on a Sunday. Are they going to do a whole All-Star weekend, or are they going to limit it? Okay, it's just the game itself, but I had a game as a player on a Friday, and I got to fly into Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like, or they're going to say, you know what? We're going to let you. Your last game is on a Tuesday. And we're going to bring the guys in so that way they make, they, they're good to go. It'd be interesting to see how they set it up. I, I really just don't know. Yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate some energy to investigating, you know, the write-ups. Cause I did see the write-up on ESPN.com mm. about the proposal for the all-star game. And I know you had mentioned it to me before in past, and I don't know if it was on the, on the last podcast. So I'm definitely going to see you know what the what the whole setup is going to be before I have like a real final view on it. But as a fan of the game, yeah, I'm always going to be excited for an All Star game. I'm never going to be against them being able to bring the best Absolutely. players in the world together yeah. to you know have a pickup game. You know what I'm saying? It, it's part of what makes the NBA so alluring is that they actually stage the most entertaining of all-star games out of all the sports leagues, to be honest with you. The all-star weekend in the NBA, I don't think anything compares to it. The Pro Bowl, mm-hmm. you know, that that hasn't been a thing for almost uh, 20 years. You know, I'm not a hockey fan to say anything negative or positive about hockey. Um, you know, the baseball thing, I mean, that's exciting to an extent, but I just don't believe that they're, even their competitive energy doesn't match the competitive energy that we started to get with the, the most recent all-star games when they did the captain thing, the intensity picked up. So, so if they can continue that trend, Mm -hmm. yeah, man, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I'm all for good basketball. I mean, you know, the world deserves it. 
you know, the players deserve it. So, yeah, let's make it happen, man. Let's make it happen. Um, what else is going on? What else is going on? I think I just reviewed, yeah, the Clippers. That's what I got on my thing. The Clippers and the Jazz, their, their final last schedule. I was just going to say, um, there's a game up in the Atlanta game is against Dallas right now. Atlanta is losing by three with 12 seconds to go. Um, the Luca situation. Yeah, Luca needs help, man. I and mean, I don't know where he's gonna find it because that's actually one thing I was gonna mention to you about is um, oh, they actually did this interesting. They had um, I don't know if this is always the case because I haven't followed Dallas enough, but Tim Hardaway Jr. came is off coming off the bench this game right now. Um, I just got twenty two points and he's played thirty minutes, but um, to be their sixth man, maybe that will give them a more a better a better setup offensively um, because I just feel like I feel like Dallas doesn't have any pieces that anybody really wants. You know, besides, obviously, they're not trading Luka and you're not trading Pazingas. Uh, I just don't see anything else. So, because so, I'm looking at their roster and I'm like, okay, they're, they are currently, they're not even in the playoff picture, right? I think I think they're like a game or two out from even the possible ten seed. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're only Dallas Mavericks are eight and thirteen. Exactly. So they're one game better than which the is crazy because Dallas has actually lost six straight games. Now there's a chance that they'll win this game tonight because they're up, they're up, um, they're mm-hmm. up six now. So they, they'll probably win this game. But remember how last season and going into this season, people were talking about how good Luca was going to be and he's going to take that step and possibly get MVP. And, and, and I didn't, and I didn't bite and I still don't because I think that our ability to evaluate players who come into the league from situations other than what we're used to seeing with the normal pipeline of guys, that developmental curve is absolutely not the same. Luca came into the NBA with the on-court savvy intelligence and presence of Mm -hmm. a guy who's in his third year in the league. Just to be real with you, he was that good. He was already a multi-time or or at least a single-time European League champion. Mm -hmm. He's played basketball for the money. He's run one of the most complex offensive systems, which dominates the NBA right now, which is the Spain pick and roll for essentially all of his teenage years. There wasn't much that he had to adjust to in the NBA other than mm-hmm. the speed and athleticism of the guys he was playing up against. Luca's not, not going right. to suddenly become more athletic. Luca's not suddenly going to become a ball handler even better than what he currently mm-hmm. is. His ceiling is what you see and how much he wants to put into that given year. He's a guy who could, like Russell Westbrook does without trying now, he could average close to a triple-double every season. And he could do, he, he's already in his early 20s. He can do that into his 30s because he's that multifaceted and that skilled. So he's going to give you that 20-plus, 8.5-plus um, assists. Yeah, because he's at he's almost eight eight rebounds he's at 27, a game. Twenty seven nine and nine. He's gonna do that. So that's and that's pretty much what he averaged last year. Mm-hmm. Which which are LeBron like numbers? Those are LeBron like numbers without the same level of mm-hmm. on court dominance. You get what I'm saying? Like 
you can have the numbers, but if you don't also have the presence, and, and that's what's missing from Luca being great. He's great, but his greatness doesn't overwhelm the other team like other players of that same type of statistical stature does. That's the problem. It's one thing to say, oh, man, we got to worry about Luka going into a seven-dribble step-back three-pointer versus, oh, my God, what are we going to do? LeBron coming off a high pick-and-roll with, you know, 10 seconds to go on the shot clock and shooter spaced everywhere. Mm -hmm. What poison do we have? You get what I'm saying? I think Luka does have some of those facets where the the defense has to make up for what he can do because in in that situation, he can do almost all the things that LeBron can, but he can't do it or – or LeBron could with that explosiveness that LeBron possesses, which I think LeBron is just in dollar down mode right now. I've seen like three LeBron dunks this whole season that show me he can still jump. And then the rest of the season, he's just been basically, you know what? I don't have to dunk. Aggressive layup. Aggressive layup. Aggressive layup. And I think come that first round playoff series, he's going to pull one of those, oh, my God, he still got it dunks out. And everybody's going to be like, oh, man, playoff mode activated. I don't know Mm -hmm. if – Luca has that gear, which is basically what I'm saying. Luca's gear to do that means he's taking more shots and removing the rest of his team from the offense. And the type of team that Luca has, he needs his team. So he's got to keep them involved. So it's a really tough balance because if Luca goes out there and gives you 40, that means mm-hmm. that there's three or four guys who didn't get two or three shots. They're yeah. out of rhythm. And you need those guys. So it's going to be tough because, again, you could go back and you could blame it on Porzingis, which I don't think is fair because Porzingis got traded there. Dallas wanted him there. It's on them to figure out how to make that situation work. But the, also the Dallas dynamic is unique because we're, we're not being fair to their roster. Uh, they, they, um, their, their big man, he tore ACL. He came mm-hmm. back. So he's in a recovery year. They've got uh, – they got yeah, my really boy who time. went to Kentucky as the yeah. backup center. Mm-hmm. And all he can do is dunk. And all he can do is dunk. You got, you got, uh, the Finley Smith. Callie Smith? Finley Smith. Yeah, Finley Smith. Who, who, Finley, Finley Smith. You got Finney Smith, who, who's a, who, who's a utility guy who can, mm-hmm. you know, give you occasional three pointer, but plays defense on wings and, and some bigs, but he's not really a shooter. So he doesn't really have a defined offensive space. You've got, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know what Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to bring. He's gun work. You want to hit? Give me an hour plus a pin and a pad. That's yeah. He, he's doing it. You give me a shot, I'm taking it. And if I'm cooking, y'all in trouble. He's been that from the moment he left Michigan and got to the NBA. When now he you got drafted Atlanta, by the Knicks first. When the Knicks overpaid for him, when he left, right, right. He got drafted you know, by the Knicks. Him. Atlanta overpaid for him. Then the Knicks got him back. And then he got traded along with, with, with Chris Stapps to, uh, to Dallas. And, and, and he's been cooking ever since. He knows his pace in the NBA, and he's comfortable in it. He does, I, I don't think he cares anymore. Like, I don't need to be a starting two guard. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to get my shots yeah, because yeah, everybody yeah. know I can shoot. And he's, and he's okay with that. He's one of those guys from that, from that Michigan class. Because remember, it was him, Trey Burke, mm. and Karis LeVert all on one team. So right now, you know, Karis LeVert currently is not playing. Trey Burke yeah. and, and Tim Hardaway Jr., they both play for the Mavericks. Well, Trey yeah, Burke is the backup Jones point guard. Yeah. Back, back, backup point guard. Well, actually, no, because they do play him and Brunson together yeah. because 
because Trey Burke is more of an aggressive scorer. So you can you can trot him out there. You can't keep him out there long because they're both really little. But you know they find ways to keep Trey Burke on the floor because he does. Again, like you said, he brings to attention the fact that Dallas doesn't really have a secondary scorer that complements what mm. Luca does. And I think that's the issue that you were you were, you were pointing out that. They do have players, but those players don't necessarily complement what Luca brings enough to make them a serious threat. But I think, you know, Rick Carlisle's a good coach. He'll figure it out. I don't know if it'll be in time for them to be a serious threat in the playoff picture. I never really saw Dallas as a contender this season. So anything they do as far as, you know, advancing in the playoffs and making noise, it's going to be, you know, a, a beautiful thing for their fans. But I see them in that middle of the pack of the West level right now. And I don't know what it's going to take to push them over. I don't think it's going to be a coaching thing. I think that they didn't really anticipate yeah. what the loss of Seth Curry would do to them. I think that's a monumental thing that people are overlooking. The impact that Seth Curry has had leaving mm-hmm. Dallas and subsequently has had on Philadelphia. Because that space and that he gave them has brought them to the top of the Eastern Conference and that space and that Dallas loss exactly. has got them looking at New Orleans like high neighbor. Yeah, facts. Yeah, they won. They won by six. And did Dallas win the game? Um, All right. Yeah. And Atlanta's another team that we said is health to skelter, and they're going to continue to be, but they, they have managed to find a way to, to get into that 500 level. Everybody has already booked the playoff spot for Atlanta, so Atlanta literally is playing with house money, and all they have to do is get into the – the seven to 10 conversation and they fulfill people's expectations, even though in my mind with the amount of money that they spent, they should be better. But I think the nature of that roster and some of the issues that we've spoken about on previous podcasts with what's going on with John Collins, Trey Young kind of like trying to figure things out on the fly and, you know, all the different parts that they have. And the fact that one of their big acquisitions is hurt. Another one is coming back from being hurt. And you got to figure out how to make all those parts fit along with a coach, Lloyd Pierce, who really hasn't been a coach that long. I know that they're going to have growing pains. So, you know, I'll give them another 20 games to see if I can get an idea of, you know, where we can look at them long term for the remainder of the season. But in these first 20 games, mm-hmm. they kind of perform exactly where I expected. They're up and down. But on that note, we're going to go ahead and bring this episode to a wrap. As always, we'd like to say a big time thank you to our listeners, supporters, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you can do so by leaving us a voice note on any of the podcasts or platforms we are hosted on. And again, and we are keep this energy going. We are making open invites to any of our listeners who have a team favorite that they feel has not been discussed or they would like to discuss more in depth. If you want to do an episode where we dedicate it to your favorite team and we'll just sit there and break them down for a season, Reach out to us. We're down for it. I have open invites in place for a couple of guests. We hope to get them on soon so that we can start discussing some unique topics that also go along with what's going on in the NBA. So, yeah, man, just send us a voice note if that's something that you'd like to be a part of. Or you can email us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Or you could tag us on social media at viewsfromtheclutch on Instagram and Facebook. But reach out to us. It's a conversation. We'd love to have y'all join. And on that note, 